Good evening. Today we are moving right into actually the Good Friday message. Of course, Easter follows that message. Um, but we are continuing through John's Gospel, and we're in chapter 18. And we're going to be starting at verse 28, and we'll go into chapter 19, verse 16. At least that's the plan. And so, again, what I'm going to do is read the passage. As I uh, read the passage, hopefully you've read it before, but if not, as we're going through and reading, if there's something that stands out to you, a question that you have, or maybe an impression you get from the passage that really touches you, um, jot it down, remember it, because then I'm going to ask you to ask some questions and try and fill in the time with the things that you're curious about, and I'll share some things as well. Um, but I want this to be interactive, and so I want you guys to contribute to this. Remember, this isn't just about me giving you a, a Bible study. This is about us looking at the scriptures and working through them together, answering the questions that we have as a community. And what we're looking at specifically tonight is Jesus's interaction with Pilate. And really, there are three Characters, if you will, four if you consider Barabbas, but basically three. There's the the Jewish leaders, there is Pilate, and of course there is Jesus. And we're going to kind of looking at them and seeing how they interact with each other in this series of verses. So we're starting at chapter 18, verse 28. And it says, the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you, Pilate said. Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. 
Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Verse 1 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate says. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gapatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Powerful passage. Full of emotion and drama, and it has been portrayed on the screen so many times, but reading it is, again, better than the movie. As we look at this section where Jesus is now handed over to basically the Gentiles to the Roman government for crucifixion. We, we see the picture broaden now that the gospel, as it's going to start to spread, already is, but not in the way that we maybe think of it normally as by sharing our faith, but the gospel has now reached Rome and reached one of the governors there at Rome. But before I go on anymore, let me ask you, what questions or thoughts do you have on these verses? Anything that stand out to you in what I just read that maybe you would like a little bit more uh, clarifying on or something that struck you and touched you in these passages? Well, the uprising probably included that. Any thoughts? 
Okay, then. As I go on, I'll kind of talk about some things. And again, if any questions come up, let me know. You know, it, it starts off here in verse 28 that they bring him to the palace for Rome. This is probably the most dramatic account of the trial of Jesus in, in all the New Testament, more so than all the other Gospels, at least in my opinion. And as they bring him to the Roman governor, which is Pilate, it's early in the morning and they want to avoid some ceremonial uncleanness. And so they don't want to step into the palace. And we see the height of hypocrisy taking place where they would try him at night, that they would accuse him and lie about him to murder him, but they want to stay ceremonially unclean so that they can take partake of the Passover. And so they don't go into the governor's house, but they're handing this man over to crucify him, even though he is innocent and they know it. You have a question? Yeah. Yeah. That they would get the Roman government. Again, we go back to the Jewish people are under Roman rule. And so what Rome would do would try and allow as much freedom to areas where they weren't problematic. But this area was very problematic. There was a lot of uprisings. The traditions of the Jews were very strong. And so there was a lot of opposition between the Roman government that said Caesar is Lord and God to the Jewish that said there is no other God but Yahweh. And so there was a lot of tension there. And so what Rome would do is try and help the circumstances by saying, okay, on the Passover, on your feast, we'll release to you a prisoner so that we can kind of show our good faith and we're being nice people. Okay. That was kind of what they would do. And so we get the idea of that from here as well as in some other writings. And so a lot of what takes place in this passage, and even as we talked about last week, is very political. Remember Caiaphas and the high priest, how it was a family, and how that family was appointed there by Rome, and how they had to be in good standings with Rome and try and keep their place of power. And so there was a lot of just pulling for who is in charge here. Rome had a say, but then they had to please the people as well. And so there's this tension between the leaders of Israel and the Roman government. And because of this specific region being problematic, we see that Pilate is put in charge over this area. And as we see Pilate's name, we need to talk to him for a little bit because Unless we understand why he's here and a little bit of the history, we don't fully appreciate all that's taking place in this dialogue between the Jewish leaders and Pilate. Some of the things can go over our head. And so it's important to understand that the reason Pilate is here is partially because of problems that they had in this region beforehand. Herod, who was king back in like 4 BC, when he passed away, he had three sons. And each son he gave portions of this area. And to one of the sons, who was the youngest, he was only 18 at the time, his name was Archelaus. And he was 18, he received the area of Judea and Samaria and another area. But he was 
such a terrible ruler that the Jews requested that he be removed from power and appoint a governor because this person was a tyrant. And there was so much problem in this region that the Roman government then conceded and put a governor to be in charge. Now, Rome, if there was an area that wasn't politically charged, they wouldn't have troops stationed there because there's not worry there. But in areas that were very, just uh, a lot of discord, a lot of uprising, they would have troops stationed throughout that area so that if they needed to, they could squash whatever uprisings might occur. This was one of the areas. And so there is a garrison, and they might have up to 3,000 troops and soldiers there in one of these areas. And so here is Pilate coming into this place. Pilate took in charge about 26 AD, reigned for about nine years. And as he takes into this place to, to be the governor there in Rome, there were some problems as he took over. There were a couple instances that stand out in history that Josephus and another writer, Philo, write about. And one of them is when he was first coming in to be governor and take his residence there in Herod's palace. They came in and the Roman soldiers had these medallions that were on top of these staffs that had the emblem of the emperor in there. And when the Jewish people saw him coming in with these they were enraged because to them that was a an image, that was a graven image of another god. And so they started protesting, get rid of this image. In fact, people pleaded with Pilate, don't do this. All the other people who were before you, the other governor here, they took that off so it wasn't going to start an uprising. But Pilate said, no, I'm not going to do it. They're going to have to basically bow to my rule. And so he marched in, there was an uprising, and these people just kept on and on about, get rid of this medallion, get rid of this graven image, do this, do this. And they finally met in an arena, and Pilate said, well, come into this arena. And then Pilate had soldiers come around these guys and say, we're going to kill every one of you unless you stop this. And it's reported that these men just tore their clothes, and they just said, kill us then, because we will not stop. And Pilate wasn't about to kill all these innocent people, so he relented and then backed down. And so it kind of like they called his bluff, and now Pilate is against the ropes. Okay, one for the Jewish people. I had to back down. I didn't know they were this devout, that they were having this much of an instance here. A second instance that happened was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in need of water, because it was inadequate, the water system. And so Pilate determined to build a new aqueduct, which was needed, where did he get the money? He got it from the temple, the temple treasury. He basically took money that was used for their worship to build the aqueduct, and that enraged the people. And so the people were just very upset with him. And of course, when the people are upset, it causes problems. When it causes problems, it doesn't just cause problems in that region. It causes problems to the government overall. And so Pilate is not doing well. There was riots that took place. People surged against him in the streets. 
Pilate would have soldiers kill people there in the streets that were trying to assert themselves and rising up. And so there's a lot of tension that's taking place here with the people and with Pilate. And the third incident turns out was even worse when Pilate wanted to go into Jerusalem and stay at the ancient palace of Herod again. He had certain shields made that had the emblem of the emperor Tiberius on them. And he had those shields put out on display and whatever Pilate's thinking was, well, maybe the emperor will now see that I'm devoted to him. The people again were enraged that you have this graven image. And it finally came out that Tiberius, the emperor told Pilate, remove the images. You're causing me too much problem. And so what happens if you keep causing your boss problem? And just to use that as a term, gets rid of you, okay? And so here's Pilate, and he's 0 for 3. And so he's in this place of tension, and the Jewish leaders know this. And so they are going to play on his weaknesses. And it's important to see this, and it's relevant even to know how Pilate ended up or what we know of him. The last incident that happened was after Jesus was crucified in the year AD 35. There was a revolt in Samaria. It was not a serious one, but Pilate crushed it, and it was pretty sadistic and fierce the way he just crushed it, executed a lot of people. And the Samaritans had always been regarded as loyal citizens to Rome, And now they were in contention, and so Tiberius ordered Pilate back to Rome, which meant we're going to deal with you back here. But then Tiberius died, so we don't know what happened to Pilate after that. He just kind of disappears from history. But that's the scenario of Pilate. So knowing a little bit about his background, where he's coming from and what's going on with him, he comes here and they present Jesus, and he says, take care of him yourself. They say, we don't have the rights to execute anyone in verse 31. You see, Rome allowed them a good deal of self-government, but they didn't give them what was called the right of the sword. In other words, if you're going to put someone to death, we're not going to let you have that much power. We have that control. If you need something along those lines, then you have to come to us. Now, At the same time, we know there are instances where people were stoned to death because the crowd would be upset or they would be instigated. And so things still happened. But that's just showing you, again, the political tension that's taking place between Rome and this little body of people, the Jews. And then here is Jesus in the middle. And so we see that they're trying to Tell him, we can't put him to death. In fact, we really don't want to because a lot of people are following him, but you can. And so we want you to put him to death because we don't have the right to execute anyone. And this took place in verse 32 to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he would die. What does that mean? What does it mean to fulfill the kind of death he would die? What was the Jews' way of putting someone to death? Stunning them. Jesus said, remember in chapter 12, if I be lifted up, right? Like he said, up on a tree, if I be 
crucified is basically what he's referring to. I will draw all men to myself. And so Jesus knew beforehand how he was going to be put to death. And so Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The Jews from the start to the finish were seeking to use Pilate for their purpose. They couldn't kill Jesus, so they determined they would have Rome kill him for them. And this way they could in a sense, keep their hands clean. We don't, we're not responsible. The Rome, Rome did it. And we were just, you know, innocent in that aspect. But again, we just see the hypocrisy. This is their doing all along. And Pilate again goes back inside and he summons Jesus in verse 33. And he asks, are you the king of the Jews? Now, we know that from the other Gospels in Matthew 26 that they accused him of being a king. That's why Pilate could ask him this question. So he asked him, are, are you the king of the Jews? And these were, again, drummed up charges against Jesus. They, they are putting these charges up against him to try and find something. They accused Jesus of claiming to be a king but that accusation wasn't true. He didn't go around saying, I am the king. He talked about a kingdom and his kingdom, the kingdom of the father, but he didn't talk about himself being the king the way they were. And so they were misinterpreting this. And remember last time we talked about everything I spoke, I spoke publicly in the open. Why are you bringing me here in secret? And so we see that taking place Right here. And so as he goes on, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus says, Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Jesus does not appear to be on trial here. It almost appears that Jesus is asking the questions. And so Pilate's saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, are you saying this on your own or did others talk to you about me? And so Pilate responds, am I a Jew? Which is very telling because it shows the prejudice that Pilate had. It shows the arrogance and pride that Pilate had. I'm not a Jew. What are you talking to me about that? I'm not one of you. So he's asking him, are you the king of the Jews? He's wanting to know, are you starting this insurrection? And Jesus challenges him and says, are you saying that because you know about me or did someone tell you that about me? He's really putting the accusation back on Pilate. What do you know? Is it based on someone else's words or are you the one saying that of me? And his, am I a Jew, is basically saying, I'm up here. I'm not one of you people. Okay, he's putting the Jews down. I'm of Rome. You're the Jews. You're taken captive. You're part of these people. And so his own people and priests handed you over to me. What, what is it you have done? Verse 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king then. 
said Pilate, and Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, there's really no sense this trial. When a person is put before Jesus, they're actually the one who is on trial. Jesus is just making known that he is a witness of what is true, that his kingdom is that of truth. And so Pilate is dealing with the Jewish people, their political struggles and his own struggles. And then here comes Jesus and he says, so are you a king? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like your kingdom. And if it were, the people who are part of my kingdom would fight for me. But as it is, I came here to tell you about the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He came to witness to the truth. He came to tell men the truth. The truth about what? About God. The truth about themselves. The truth about life. The truth about who he was to bring life to us. Remember his words, I am the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. And so he came to testify of what is true, true about God, true about humanity, true about life. That's his kingdom. It's much bigger than what Rome was. And Rome was everything in the world at that time. And Jesus is saying, no, my kingdom is the kingdom of truth. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? You know, when people live a lie for so long, it oftentimes makes them unable to see what is true. You guys know people like that? where they just kind of live in this delusion. And they say black is white and white is black, good is evil and evil is good, and they justify everything that they do, and pretty soon in their own minds, this is how life is, even though it's totally different for everyone else. And you see, what Jesus has come to do is bring us clarity about what life is about. And and we live in this delusion of life for so long that pretty soon we don't even see that we are dead. I have come that they might have life. And to have it to the full, to have it in abundance. But people think, well, I already have life. And he says, no, you don't. You think you're alive, but you are existing. I have come that you might have actual life. And and people are unable to see life, what it really is, because they are delusioned by what they are living and thinking that it is life. And here is Pilate saying, truth, what is truth? What is this kingdom you're talking about? I don't see it. And he's blind to the reality of God. He's blind to the reality of what life is. He's so caught up into what he is doing, how he is living, that that is the sum total of his existence. And God is not in his awareness. He's not able to see the truth of what Jesus is talking about. So he just says, what is truth? And then he goes outside and he misses the whole point. 
And once again, Jesus is not there defending himself, saying, wait, no, I never said that. No, listen to me. Jesus talks as if he's not on trial. He talks as if, no, my kingdom, it's not of this world. If it were, they'd fight, but they not. My kingdom is that of truth. And everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. That's a challenge to Pilate. Because Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. He doesn't want to crucify him. We've seen that. And he says it again. He, he knows, I, have, I find no fault in this man. Well, if there is no fault in me, those who hear the truth will listen to me. But you see, you're not going to do what is true because you're not controlled by truth. You're controlled by the pressure of your life. Oh man, there's a, there's a sermon there, right? Are we controlled by the pressures of our life or are we controlled by the truth? Does the truth that God have for us determine how we live or does the pressure of life determine how we live? Do we allow God's voice to shape what we do or is our voice shaped by the pressures of life? Pilate is being shaped by the pressures around him and not by the truth, which is standing in front of him. Heavy, heavy stuff. What is truth? Pilate says, and he goes out again. And he says, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time, the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And so we see Pilate is looking for a way to get rid of him. But they answer, no, we want Barabbas, who again was a murderer, who was part of an uprising. We don't have a lot of information about Barabbas. Um, there's different theories, but we really don't know. He's just kind of a, a side note here. He is a thief. He is a murderer, which is interesting because the thief and murderer was released and Jesus paid the price. And that's really a foretelling of what was going to happen all along. That Christ would die in the place of a murdering, deceitful people. And so Pilate took Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 19, had him flogged. You know, we read that, but we know that it's so much more than that. When a person was scourged and whipped, it was brutal. Their backs were torn open. It, is, it was bloody. I mean, we've heard and seen movies about those things. And so as this is taking place, the crown of thorns put on his head, the robe wrapped up, Jesus at this point is being beaten to the point of almost death. He is being beaten in a terrible way. And once more, verse 4, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And I think Pilate is thinking at this point, okay, now that we've beaten him half to death, maybe you'll let up. Maybe that'll suffice your brutality, your anger and your hatred. But have you noticed that hatred does not have limits? 
when hate takes charge of something, it will run amok in our minds, in our emotions. When you are filled with hate, you will never be satisfied because that hate will never be quenched. And so it wasn't enough that Jesus was beaten. They wanted him dead. It wasn't enough what he'd gone through, even though it was a lie. They would not be satisfied until he was crucified. And so Pilate again tries to suffice and say, hey, I didn't find anything wrong. We beat him half to death. Here he is. You know, what do you say? Here is the man. And it's interesting, the word that Pilate uses is a word called anthropos, which means in the normal Greek for a human being, but not long afterward, this word started to take on a different meaning. And afterward, the Greek thinkers would use this very word for the terminology of a heavenly man or an ideal man, a person who was a model human being. And so there was actually a change in the name after this event. And it was curious that as I was reading a commentary on this, that maybe this was where that name began to take a new term. So behold, the man. You see, here you say he's a king. I'm showing you the man. He's been beaten, he's been bloodied. Look at, he's just a man. But later on, he would be the ideal man, the perfect man, the last Adam. And so we see Jesus is actually changing history. And he's changing the terminology of what it means to be a man, what it means to be human. This is the ideal of what a human being looks like. Behold, the man. He didn't behave unseemingly. He didn't make a ruckus. He didn't start sniveling and crying, please show mercy. He went with intention to the cross. May that never escape our understanding. Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus is in complete control of what's happening right now, even though he is beaten and bloodied. Behold the man. They shouted, crucify him. But Pilate answered in verse 6, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Do you hear Pilate's brakes just keep being put on? Hey, nothing's wrong with this guy. You deal with him. He doesn't want to crucify him, but they keep insisting. The Jewish leaders insisted, verse 7, we have a law. And according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Now, why do you think he was more afraid when he heard that he claimed to be the son of God? Maybe, yeah, he's starting to believe something. Remember in other gospels that said that his wife had a dream that said, have no, nothing to do about this man. 
And so that's in the back of his mind rattling around. And then he claims to be the son of God. They throw that in there. You see, Pilate was very superstitious. He wasn't religious, but he was very superstitious. And sometimes they're almost the same. And fearing that there might be something in this, he was afraid to come to the decision about Jesus because what if there's something special about this man? What if Jesus does have favor with a God? Well, again, his idea of a God was different than the Hebrew idea of a God. But again, superstition is very powerful. You know how people are, you know, I was watching some TV show and, you know, fishermen, when they go out, they do some things because this is how you catch fish. You knock on this, you know, and you twirl this around and throw your salt in the water, whatever, you know, it's like you just go through these things. I mean, sports figures, you know, don't wash your socks until you lose a game, you know. I mean, whatever it is, these superstitions and you'll swear by them. I mean, they start to govern your life and they become very powerful. And so Pilate appears to be very superstitious. He's fearing that there might be something in it. He was afraid to come to a decision in Jesus' favor because of the Jews, but he's now equally afraid to come to a decision against Jesus because lurking in his mind is suspicion that maybe something else is going on here. Maybe there's something that I don't understand about this person. And he knows that the charges are false, He knows that they're lies. He he knew that Jesus was innocent. So that's weighing on his mind that he was deeply, no doubt, impressed with Jesus. And he doesn't want to condemn him to death, but still he is. Could be. Yeah, he could have heard of some of the things. Yep, Pilate's wife had a dream that have nothing to do with this man. So what do you do when the pressure of your life is pushing you to do something that you don't want to do? What's that? Don't do it. How many times do we do it? How many times do we give in to the pressure of life and do what we know we shouldn't do, but we're pressured? And we feel that pressure, and instead of owning up to what is true, we succumb to the pressure. And you see, this is the man that we are to follow. This is the example. And so Pilate heard this. He was more afraid. In verse 9, it says, he went back inside the palace. And then listen to his questioning now. Where do you come from? What an interesting question. Where do you come from? Asking Jesus. He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. I think that's amazing that Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? It's a terrible day when Jesus refuses to speak to someone. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have either the power to free you or to crucify you? Now, where do you come from? Don't you realize I'm the one who's in charge of your life? And Jesus' words again show that Jesus is actually the one in control. Verse 11, he answered, you would have no power over me 
if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. The crucifixion is not the end. The crucifixion was the purpose, the intention, but it was only a part of the greater story. And Jesus knew this. And so Jesus saw more than Pilate was able to understand. And Jesus knows that the cross is inevitable. He had just prayed the night before, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And at that point, Jesus was steadfast to do what was accomplished, not my will, but your will be done. And so this story is never understood as a one who was taken and then sentenced to death. This is a story of a person who, with intention, went to the cross. And that's what makes the Good Friday, is that this isn't the account of a man being murdered. This is the account of a man surrendering his life. The context means everything. If Jesus was just put on trial and sentenced to death and died, that would be a terrible thing for an innocent man. But if Jesus, knowing that he was going to pay the sin of the world, going to the cross intentionally, then this is a glorious story. And that's what we have here. Jesus is going on and he says, you would have no power if it wasn't given to you from above. Imagine Pilate hearing that. I imagine with the brutality that Pilate has seen and already done, that this struck him. Like, man, who are you? This is strange. And all these other things that we talked about, his wife's dream, and now the son of God and his superstition, all these things got to be doing a number on his head. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. And so it's real clear why Pilate is acting, knowing his history, because he's being blackmailed. If you don't do what we say, we're going to accuse you of not being a friend of Caesar. So now that's looming over his head. If you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. And we're going to make sure everyone knows that. There's the pressure of his life coming down at him, pressing at him, pressing at him. So we know how the story ends, but is Pilate responsible? Couple shaking head no. He was innocent. He knew he was innocent. He knew he was being blackmailed. Now, here's where he had the choice either to do what was right and let the innocent man go or to succumb to the pressure that was being put on him that he would not be a friend of Caesar's and he succumbed to the pressure. See, he's not the only one to blame. 
but he is to blame for his part. And I think that's important for us to understand that, you know, we all have responsibilities for what we do. You know, when something happens to me, if I'm treated in a way that's unjust and someone slanders me or or robs me or, or treats me malicious, well, they're responsible for what they did, but then I'm responsible for what I do with that. If I return evil for evil, then I'm responsible for the evil that I return. See, just because someone else did something wrong doesn't make me innocent. I have to be responsible still for what I do. And so we can't put the blame that we have on how we react based on what someone else has done. If someone does something to me, if they lie about me, I don't have then the right to lie about them. I don't have the right to start asserting myself in a way that's going to be slanderous and hostile and act unbecoming of a person who follows Christ. I still have the responsibility of representing God to the people around me in spite of how I was treated, in spite of what was done to me. And so we can't take away our responsibility and Pilate can't take away his responsibility. You see, Jesus stands before every one of us in some way, form or another. And each of us are responsible for how we deal with the truth. And if we choose to ignore that truth, ignore the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who God is, the truth of the need we have for forgiveness, then we are responsible for that choice that we make. Everyone is. And so Pilate is responsible, even though he's trying to stop it, he had the power to and he didn't. And that's kind of the end of that story. And it's the tension that we see here that's just so, oh my gosh, he's really trying to stop it, but it just keeps pushing and keeps pushing. And so what Pilate did was make the choice to do what was more important to him. And it was more important to him that he didn't have problems with Caesar than it was to release the man who was the son of God. And the idea that something was going on here, it, it, to me, it looks like God was giving Pilate an opportunity. Through his wife's dream, through his superstition, through the saying, this is the son of God, God was whispering into Pilate's ear, this is the son of God, the king of truth. And Pilate had the chance and had the choice and he made the wrong one. And I think God does speak to each of us and reveals the truth to every human being and every human being has the opportunity to make a choice. Now, verse 13 is interesting because it says... 
Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat. And the way it's written out, it's hard to tell if he sat Jesus down on the judge's seat or if Pilate sat down on the judge's seat. And I thought that was interesting because wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, this would be something for a movie. I don't think I've seen this in any of the movies about Jesus. Where Jesus comes out beaten, the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and then is placed on the seat of judgment to mock. Look at here. He goes, he brought Jesus out and at the place that is known as the stone pavement, which the Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Can you imagine? Jesus is put on a seat of judgment. Here is your king, the king who is, in fact, the judge, who is going to judge, is placed there in a mockery, but it was actually a foretelling of what would take place. It's one of those things that kind of gives you the eebie-jeebies, right? Just like, oh, man, that is so strange. That's such a strange Scenario, But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king one last time? We have no king but Caesar, the priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. The Jews were prepared to abandon every principle they had to get rid of Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. Really? You oppose Caesar as much as you can. You want your own law to be set up, but now we have no king but Caesar. You see, when anger takes over and when hatred takes over, you will defy yourself to accomplish what it is that you want. doesn't matter truth now. It doesn't matter. Vengeance dictates what you want. Jesus was infuriating them. The people were following after him. He was going to upset their control, their rule, their prestige. Get rid of him. Even if we have to say, we have no king but Caesar. Which went against everything that was in them. But they were willing to go against their own principles because of the hatred they had for Jesus. Be careful. You know, we look at this story and we say, yeah, that's terrible, that's terrible. Think about what hatred does to us. Think about how it can make us into people who are incensed to the point of reason doesn't dominate our behavior. It's the anger. It's the hatred. We are now motivated by things that are driving us and we're not in charge driving them. And gosh, anger can do that. People lie because they're angry. People murder because they're angry. People steal because they're angry. People say things because they're angry, because they hate. Here the Jews denied themselves and their principles because they cared so much to get rid of this man, Jesus. Now we're going to stop there because the crucifixion is the next time and Good Friday is Friday. 
So we're going to be talking about that on Friday a little bit more. But are there any questions on the things that we've touched on today or maybe some things I said that sparked a question or an idea or thought? Well, they didn't accept a Roman king. They were forced to have a Roman king. Um, and there was a lot of periods where they didn't have kings when they were taken into captivity with Babylon through Nehemiah and some of those other areas where there, there was a long period where they no longer had a king. They no longer were the people that they remembered themselves to be. And here, the whole idea of when their king came, their king was supposed to raise them up above Rome and to give them their place that they thought. And so here, this idea of a king is just one they want to use to influence Pilate to get them to, to do what they wanted him to do. And so they, they could care less about Caesar. He wasn't, they didn't consider him their king by any stretch of the imagination. They just wanted to use this because they knew it could sway Pilate. Because if they say that, then Pilate's going to be the one who's causing trouble. What this guy was, you know, causing an insurrection and you didn't stop it? Why didn't you? You're out. So, yeah, Mike. It would start that evening. This was now the daytime. Remember, they brought Jesus in the evening. And then it was day where they brought him to Pilate in the trial. And then it would be evening. The Passover would start. So it's going to be later that evening. When the Passover would start. That's part of the preparation of the Passover. Yeah, the feast would start at sundown at this point. Yes, Carolyn. Well, he was he's saying he didn't find anything innocent or wrong with him, that he saw him as innocent, but it seems to imply that he was more, you know, trying to get rid of that responsibility at this point that something happened when he was he said he was the son of god it freaked Pilate out a little bit more and so he was really trying to get rid of him as far as being his responsibility at that point even more so well it, it just showed him that he wasn't in other words he had the opportunity he could have been on the side of truth if he would have done what was right and what was true but remember what is truth to Pilate, truth was something that he could, you know, well, truth is I'm going to get kicked out of my position if I don't do this. You know, to, truth, to Pilate, truth had different, you know, levels of responsibility. And it wasn't this idea of, no, this is true. This man is innocent, and I should not sentence him to his death. But he does. He turns him over, handed him over to be crucified. Pilate had to hand him over to be crucified. And he did. And that's his responsibility and his place in history. Amazing. You know, for years, they didn't even believe that Pilate existed. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the critics would say that there was never a person, that this whole thing was made up, this would never happen. And then they found one column that had Pilate's name on it. So, oh, okay. Well, maybe he did exist. So, yeah. So interesting. Any other thoughts? Well, again, Jesus gave him enough for him to know the truth, but also Jesus was not going to steer his destiny 
away from where he needed to go. You know, and so he stayed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you know enough. You know enough to make the decision. Crazy. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you again for these passages where we can look and have insight not only into the events that happen as you were taken away to be crucified, but Lord, the the power behind it. Lord, the revelation more of who you are and even who we are as human beings that's seen in these areas. Lord, I pray that you would grip our hearts with these truths, especially as we celebrate Good Friday and your crucifixion and resurrection in the next few days. God, may may our lives be molded by the truth that we know of who you are, what you've done, and Lord, what you have given to us. You've given us life, and you've given us life in abundance. Lord, may that mark how we live and help us to be people who live in a way that honors you. Thank you for this time, and we ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.